as I get started with the show, I wanted to say that uh, I won't be able to record next week, but if we were able to, it would be our one-year anniversary. We are now at 30 episodes and one year having recorded. I can't believe it's been a year. I know we wow. took some some time off, but not very much, but we've pretty much been recording solid for a year. It doesn't feel like that, though, to me. But, uh, yeah, I guess uh, we'll keep doing this until we run out of things to talk about, which at this rate, we're going to get there pretty soon. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk <laughs> about uh, Serpico, Farnese, and Azan. Or, sorry, Azil, we should talk about Azan, Serpico, and Farnese in that order. Yeah, and you should pronounce it Farnese. Okay, I'll start doing that. <laughs> and, and did I at least get Azan right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I like Azan. <laughs> oh, my God. I was wondering how you were going to pronounce it. Hey, uh, <laughs> I switched to Farnese a long time ago. <laughs> Speaking of which, all these characters, we have we do have a character poll going that uh, it seems to have stagnated at this point. It kind of it, it you know surged for a bit, and I was surprised to see some of the results. But now it's becoming a little predictable now, and that it's, it looks like it's going to be Guts and Griffith pretty much, and, and maybe Skull Knight will dip in there as well, but. I'm pathetically uh, checking on uh, Griffith's status. <laughs> he's he's, um, he's second place with 12, but Skull Knight's one vote behind. Okay, that's yeah. where he was the last I checked. Yeah, yeah. It's still only got 55 votes so far. It's only been up for a couple days, but still, like, come on, people, get some votes. Anyway, it's just something to do to pass the time as we're here. You know, no episode to talk about, nothing really to say about the movies, so may as well do something about characters. Everybody enjoys those, so... Well, we got the the Skull Knight clip to to talk about. It's not much to talk about, though. I it's mean, true. It sucks. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and that's all there is to say. See, I when we'll I say go- that, I'm just talking about like Skull Knight himself. It's like I don't even want to think about. Like, I feel like he's just a prisoner in this movie. <laughs> like, yeah. So, so I'm just appreciating yeah. him for his majesty. <laughs> Did you want to go ahead and do that first? Sure. Okay, go for it. What do we have well, to say about this damn thing? <laughs> well, gee, now I now I'm out here all alone on the stage, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I just I thought you know it was it was thrilling to see despite everything else, and I I, I alluded to it in the thread, but I think that's sort of a testament just to how cool Skull Knight is. I mean, just his design and everything else, mm-hmm. and just it it was it was still thrilling just to see him. It still put a smile on my face, even though you know Guts is standing there naked, and you know it's like Casca's. Stirring, you know, oh, don't wake her up, man. You know, we're having our secret, you know, butt naked meeting here. <laughs> keep it, keep it on the down low, bro. You know, it's the new, the new, like, tone of the scene. Yeah. It was still, it was still, you know, good to see him. I, I was still thrilled. I guess if I had to say something positive, it would be that it's still cool to see Skull Knight talking. I mean, I don't care about anything yeah. else, but it is kind of cool to see, you know, hear our old guy talking, even if it does sound like Solid Snake. It's <laughs> a snake. Oh, very impressive. <laughs> you didn't see that? In the th- I posted that earlier in the thread. Oh wow! No, I just think you that you busted out the, uh, the. You were able to get some sound effects on here. Oh yeah, yeah. I was hoping it would work, and it it did. But yeah, I mean, as far as like uh, the weird changes, you know, they make Skull Knight basically have like a a little, a little rain cloud following him around because it's it's daylight. And then he comes and it's all dark and gloomy and then he walks away and it's daylight again. Like, really? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Under a bad sign, but, uh, it's, 
it's just it's a funny testament to like them combining scenes that just don't go together at all. Where it's like he literally has to bring the the darkness yeah. of like his original scene with him, and then take it with him so that it can be lighted <laughs> for guts and Casca. It's just like, oh man. It reminds oh. me of like watching old movies when you know they're supposed to be shooting a scene at night like in the script, but they've got like a spilled over into the day. Yeah, it's like yeah. a really really bright night. <laughs> Yeah, it was just, it's just funny. And it's also funny from, like, the standpoint, you know, like, really? He's not going to tell her about this? <laughs> like, you know, I, I assume they're going to have their... Because, okay, we still don't know whether it's before or after they have it out. Although it's also odd to think of her just falling, you know, to sleep after that. But, you know, he, this isn't going to come up like, holy shit, you know, I just saw this skull guy and look, there's hooves here. What are we gonna, what are we gonna do about this, you know? Like, what do you I think? Guess, I, I'm guessing he won't say a damn thing and then the scene well, will continue as if it never happened. It yeah. just won't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, bringing the darkness, you know, of night with him, you know, like, that, that is sort of the best in the sense that it's like, wow, yeah, they really had to combine two scenes that don't go together at all. And even though, even though I don't speak Japanese, I did try to listen to it pretty carefully to see what he was saying and how it corresponded to what's said in the manga. And his, some, some, some lines are exact, exactly direct. Uh, mostly at the end of the conversation, some of the things he says are exact, but the beginning is completely different. Uh, so I actually do wonder what he's saying because it's not what he says in the, in the manga. For example, he never says shoku. He never says the eclipse will come. So he's saying something else. I'm guessing it's more generalized, a generalized, you know, uh, prophecy. Something bad is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, I don't know exactly though. Because again, I don't speak Japanese. I can just recognize certain phrases and I can hear what's being said and compare that to what's being said in the manga. But I don't know what it means, if you know. So. Yeah. As uh, what do you think? About what? <laughs> I don't know. The Skull Knight, his voice, what he was saying. Well, as a voice, it's okay. Uh, as far as the dialogue goes, I think. Uh, it's going to be modified to reflect the, you know, whatever differences introduced, in, you know, including the fact, uh, well, it's not a year before, but now a few days before. Yeah. It actually happens. And yeah, I think he's, I thought it's going to be, you know, lessened, you know, for the changes they, they, they put in there. So as far as the, the character himself goes, uh, uh, it, he's fine and the voice is, is alright. I don't have a big problem with it, but. Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to see how it is in the, you know, in the context of the movie, but I think the scene is going to lose some of its power. You know, I'm not sure they're going to be able to transcribe well, you know, uh, the dread guts feels, you know, alone at night, you know, mm -hmm. in the dead of the night with owls, you know, in the forest, like, you know, you know, you know, half hallucinating. Yeah. Is he behind me? Is he, you know, you know, turning yeah. around like that, you know, instantly thinking about, you know, some kind of supernatural, you know, threat. So I don't think that's going to be. He actually looked pretty well confident for a naked guy. Yeah. <laughs> I thought like, you know, he was, you know, not worried about it, you know, but yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I, I think actually, you know, it's an understatement like that it's going to lose some of its power. It's, it's yeah, also. It's, it's also it's not a full reveal of his character, you know. He's mostly in shadow. Uh, it's not a full blown image of Skull Knight, you know. And maybe it's the quality of the video that I saw, but in in the manga, it's a little different in the way they portray him. They almost put him in like full blown light, you know. Like, look at this crazy fucking guy. Whereas yeah, he here, kind of it's emerges more, out of the darkness, and you just yeah. yeah, you do get that full reveal. Right, and it's a little more shadowy here, like what exactly it is. But again, that could be the compression quality and the whatever. So. 
But uh, one other thing me and Griff were talking about earlier that was funny about this reveal was, you know, we've seen a picture or a preview picture of this long ago. I mean, I, I will say like maybe six months ago, maybe. And it was, you know, it was Guts facing Skull Knight, but Guts is naked. And at the time, everyone's like, that's kind of weird. But no one ever put two and two together like, hey, maybe they're moving the entire sequence a year ahead to when he's with Casca. Like, I mean, in some warped way, I guess we probably should have seen that coming, but – like, like Griff said, like my mind doesn't work that way. Like I can't think of like what kind yeah. of crazy, crazy curveballs are going to throw that at us. You know? Like, yeah, oh yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, right? Why? You know, the, the scene would work well as an introduction to the third movie. Like you know, they do some kind of flashback to guts. You know, leaving. Then he's uh he's alone in the forest. You know, there's a prophecy. Interesting. I mean, I don't know why they moved it like that. It doesn't make much sense to me, and I don't see what you know. I mean. At that point in the story, there's supposed to be lots of things happening, including Guts and Casca, you know, a lot of emotions, you know, uh, just attacking Skull Knight on, on top of all of that. I don't know. It doesn't make much sense to me. I don't think it's going to be very effective, you know, in whatever way you want. So, yeah, so I guess that's why no, no, no one saw it coming because right. just, you know, I mean, yeah. It's just kind of absurd. Griff, are you still yeah. there? Because you jumped out for a little bit. Uh-oh. Uh, I will put it on pause for now. I think, I think he dropped out. He may not even know he's dropped out. Yeah, I, I seem trying to reconnect. Yeah, Griff, are you back? Yeah, I'm back. Okay. I don't know what happened there, but as soon as I, right when I cut out, you were talking about how I said, like, yeah, like our minds just don't work that way. Like, right. you know, chopping up the series, and you know, it doesn't. Even though it seems obvious now in retrospect, it's like it's something that didn't make sense at all before right. because it doesn't really make sense <laughs> so yeah yeah what did you Sorry. guys think of his uh purple eyes <laughs> just i didn't yeah. have a problem with that actually yeah that was fine it's it's fine with me i, I think yeah. anything but uh but red is all right you know red feels a bit too much like you know the, the terminator, terminator. Yeah, at least that's what it, you know, brings up to me. But, uh, yeah, other than that, any color is fine. I mean, you know, violet, yeah, sure. Why, why not? Yeah, he had like an overall, I felt like there was an overall tint just around him. Sort of the light sources even, you know, in that artificial, like, night that he brought with him. Right. Yeah, right, right. So, so the whole night seeing night and fog going, uh, you know, I, I don't know. That, that was a bit lame. Yeah. That, that's actually, that's what shocked me the most. I mean, uh, I guess shock is a bit. Uh, too, too strong of a word, but that's what bothered me the most with the scene. Is like he leaves, and one second later, it's you know bright daylight, and Casca's waking up. So uh, I don't know. It feels just you know odd and unnatural, sure. and you know not proper. Mm. I think we should move on. I mean, we, we're pretty much just talking <laughs> about one little scene, and we've already said pretty much everything we can say about it. I mean, everyone knows how we feel about the adaptation, so one scene's not going to really change it. I mean, I, I guess this scene was released to excite us about what's to come, but. Obviously, that didn't really work. So, uh, still moving into movie three with lots of, uh, I don't know what the word is. I'm, I'm a little frightened at this point. But, you know, the thing is, <laughs> I'm also a little apathetic. Like, me and Griff were talking yesterday night about this. And even though I pointed out all these inconsistencies and problems with it, it didn't anger me or anything. I was just like, well, that's kind of weird. You know, whatever. It's basically my attitude towards this at this point. Yeah, well, it's also the same way I approached the second movie. I mean, I, I guess the, the first one I was, I don't know. I cringed quite a lot, you know, while I viewed it. But the second movie, I already didn't care. And the third one is the same thing. I approached it with the attitude that it's going to suck so bad. I just, you know, I mean, I, I'm ready. I've just, you know, I've given up. So it will be fine. <laughs> yeah, it's 
it's just par for the course at this point where it's like, yeah, yeah. this is, this is what they do. So I'm not, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure even, you know, Skolnas intervention during the eclipse, I'm pretty sure even that they'll manage to fuck it up, you know, one way or another. It, it won't be as cool as it could or such a thing. Mm. I'll give them it one thing, like, let's see if they can do this right and, like, just add extra Zod and Skull Knight fighting for no reason. I mean, if you're going to mess with stuff, that's something to at least do. That would be fun yeah. to watch. It looks like we will get more than, I mean, we see that, we see them clashing once whenever Rickard's yeah. seeing them together. Yeah. And I, I wonder if that's all we see or if there's, like, an extended sequence, like when Guts is fighting the soldiers on the way out of assassination, like, that two-minute long battle exactly. sequence, you know? And it's one of these things where it's like, this is like a reasonable expectation from what they've done in the past that I actually would like them to do. But, you know, I also, <laughs> now I know they won't do it. It'll, it'll be yeah. just sort of like, I thought, well, they're definitely going to have Zod and, you know, movie two. Cause, you know, Zod, you know, throwing his sword and, you know, that whole scene is just something like, oh yeah, this is the kind of stuff they yeah. would. Like, why why you wouldn't know, you keep. put that in there? <laughs> yeah. Why wouldn't you keep this? It's, it, you know, it's literally, you could do it in, you know, 15 seconds and it's like, yeah. oh yeah. So they cut that out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But we'll move on to main topic today. Um, uh, you know, we try to go through these. Everyone seems to like, well, some people say like, like the character focused things we do. They're difficult to do, though. I mean, maybe you guys have a lot easier time. Like, you guys don't go through and read all the different... Like, I go back and read every single instance of a character developing over the course of the series, whenever we do these. Like, for Griffith, I had to read, like, you know, 3 through 13, like, twice over and stuff. And for this one, it's huge. It's ridiculous. <laughs> My God. Farnese. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, wrong, wrong. <laughs> Her, her development occurs, of course, across, across like 14 to, to current, and it's constantly shifting, and it's always little, you know, hints about her character being dropped, about where it's, the direction it's going to go in. And, I mean, it's it's fascinating, but it's also tough to research. And then, you know, we're also talking about Azan and Serpico, who, to a lesser extent, are being developed. And I think their development happens on a little more of a surface level, I'd say, than, than Farnese, who... Yeah, I think they're a little a, more static, too. There's not as much yeah. going on. And Serpico is directly like very um, – he's uh, reactive to Farnese's development, you know. He, he's, yeah. he's, not, he's not developing on his own just yet. He's mostly responding to the way – the direction that her life is taken. And, and Azan, like I told uh, Griff, is, Azan's development happens in the course of like one scene. I mean no, no, no you know, flack over Azan or anything, but he pretty much uh, develops between the Albion incident and how we've seen him now. And we don't even know the full scope of his development yet, you know. We don't know the events that have transpired between when he was uh, – when he left the group at Albion and uh, now. Now he's rejoined them again, so. Yeah, that being said, I don't think it's going to be very determinant. I mean what happened at the time? I think uh, – I mean, why, mostly... why is he hiding his identity then? Well, you know, that's already been explained. Like, he doesn't want to be recognized because he's ashamed of what he did. All of this was, you know, I mean, we were told that, you know, through, you know, little parts sure. of, you know, during the scenes on the, on the ship and such. So I think mostly Mira has been keeping him, like, you know, in stock for when, you know, he could, you know, use him. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be on FM, uh, in FM that uh, things are going to, you know, I mean, get serious with Azan. For, so far, for now, he's just being there. I mean, they all know it's him. Mm-hmm. He he knows they know it's him. So it's just <laughs> some kind of masquerade, you know. They're like, yeah. So he's being kept uh, uh, to the point until he'll be useful, you know. 
I think that actually is one of his biggest developments. Not like whatever reason he's hiding his identity. Cause I, you know, I don't think there is like a practical reason. It's just, you know, it speaks to him like that he's embarrassed. And it's like, even though they all know what's going on and he does too, it's just something, you know, he's doing like, cause he thinks it's prudent or, you know, it's some sense of propriety. And it's, and it's funny, you know, I think it adds, you know, like a little more charm to his character. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it, it clearly makes his character more. I don't say goofy, but quirky. Uh, yeah, he's like you know, it adds a little, you know, a little more. He's a little more eccentric. Yeah, you know, yeah, that, and that's what that's what I mean whenever I say his development between those two times. I mean, I, I do think he's, he's he acts a, quite a bit, a little bit different, more different now than he did before. But I mean, it could have to do with the circumstances he's been placed in. You know, sparring with Isidro and things. I, I just he seems to me like less the the, the stalwart serious knight than that he used to be. You know, I, I, think, I just want. Uh, I just wonder what is ha- what happened to him between those two times if he has become well, a little you know, more unhinged, you know. That, that being said, when they first saw him again, like he was sleeping, and you know the pirates, you know, mm-hmm. you know, came, and he he still had the reaction. I mean, a reaction you expected him to have, you know, knowing his character, you know, mm-hmm. from before. Meaning, you know, he just went, you know, I, I don't say berserk on them, but he went, you know, pretty bad on them because they were, you know, you know, uh, evil doers and. He, yeah, and he had well, not just that. <laughs> when he, when he realized they were trafficking children, you know, he he just you know beat their asses down pretty bad. So I, I think he's still the same, you know, at at his heart. But uh, yeah, it's it's added. I think Mira's just chosen to how to say put a, a slightly different angle on him. And yeah. I, I think b- even before we had some. I don't know some hints that he could be, you know, more quickly, but yeah, it, it wasn't fully realized, and now it's just, you know, it's it's a case. I think sure. uh, also with that, like it's also like his way of dealing with his own exile, like in a very romantic fashion, like just the way that he, the way he talked when he defeated the pirates about being, you know, a hero and everything. The reason he wears the mask and hides his face is just because that's sort of how he's acknowledging and dealing with, you know, mm. the, his own situation that he's, you know, that he's like sort of this, you know. You know, to, I'll use a little anachronistic term. He's like a Ronin now. You know, he's this like this mm. cast out knight, and so yeah, he, he's just hiding his identity out of yeah, like as said shame or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I still cling to the idea that more happened to him than has been revealed, and I wonder if he internalized some of that. I mean, my my, my reasoning being, this was a guy that was a knight turned to the church, and the church ultimately. I mean, we can presume cast him out based on what happened to Albion, even though, you know, he dedicated his life to the church. He was the most dedicated member of the Holy Iron Chain Knights. And to have that ultimately crumble while he's trying to protect people in Albion to be shown this, you know, larger evil world beyond the church's, you know, reason to have all these things happen to him and then ultimately be kicked out by the church. I just have to imagine it, it, it damaged him in some way, you know? Well, you know, that being said, uh, I don't think, yeah, he was a most, I don't know, the most knightly, you know, the most honorable out of all of them. But I don't think it's just because of his devotion of his or his faith to the church. I think that is, you know, character, in, in, you know, in self. So, you know, I, I'm well, not sure. He, yeah. Sorry, yes. 
No, I was just going to say, I, I think he was, you know, always like that. And to him, that's part of what being a knight is all about. And uh, I don't think being cast out of the church is going to change that in any way whatsoever. I think he's still the same, you know, when it comes to that. And I think that's eventually why he'll just, you know, go along with the group because they'll be opposing the bad guys and that's just his character. You know, if any guy, if anyone in Berserk is, you know, pure at heart and just, you know, wishes to battle evil for the sake of being good, it's definitely Azan, you know. Of course. It's going to be one hell of a twist when he becomes an apostle. It's going to be crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Mustache apostle. uh... (laughs) My God. Yeah. That would be, you know, something to see. You know, there's also a simpler explanation for, like, sorry to keep focusing on, like, you know, the mask and everything, but just stuff like the way he's living, you know, sleeping in boats and, like, stealing, not stealing bread, but, like, you know, getting bread off the ground that yeah. rolls out in the bar fight. Stealing bread dogs, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, it's like he's, he is living, you know, by, you know, anyone's standards, really, in the series, you know, anyone of any uh, importance, you know, sort of a shameful existence, you know, so, you know, compared to what he was. So, right. you know, yeah. it could be as simple as that, too. That part yeah, and Anon- the anonymity of having a mask. I mean, yeah, yeah. I can see that. What's interesting is um, people that haven't been following the series as long as us. We knew Azan was going to join long before he actually joined, or we were hinted at it. There was a postcard that Mira gave out in two thousand one, I believe it was. Um, yeah. and it had uh, guts with. You could see the the hat of Shirk at the time. Uh, and an another yeah. elf, I think it was. We didn't know it was Eva Lear at the time. And you see Azan, Serpico, and Farnese with, with Guts. And this is long before any of those, that party had formed. At the time, it was just Guts and Casca having left Albion, you know. So it was a, a real big hint of things to come at the time. And so, you know, since 2001, everyone's wondering when Azan's gonna show up. And I think it was finally 2006. So it was it was like half around. a dozen volumes later that he yeah. ever you know cause before, after the after the group formed even, yeah you know he like hooked up with you know Serpico and Farnese and Isidro yeah. and so it was like okay and you know Shirke joined shortly thereafter then it was like you know where's his and did that get canceled right <laughs> you know? right yeah I mean they were in out they were in Vertanis by that time they finally met up with them and you have to that's the yeah. end of their continent to continental voyage you know so. Like, he literally on. jumped on the boat at the last second, really, you know, on that. Figured we'd live sure. literally. And I, I bring it up not to criticize the timing of it because it's, I mean, I don't really care when it is. It's, it's more a matter of we we kept wondering how he was going to be introduced. And then for him to show up on a boat sleeping, you know, it was just kind of random. But Well, it's not even – I would – you know, like you say, like you, it's interesting you said you didn't bring it up to criticize because, I, you know, I didn't mean to give that impression, impression because uh, – it's something to praise, really, that it just shows yeah. that he had it in mind so early, sure. and that he, it was interesting that he marked him for that so early on. And I wonder if uh, he intended for it to take so long for him yeah. to join, or if it just sort of worked out that way. Sure, I, I didn't mean to say you were criticizing. I just wanted to characterize what I was saying. I don't think I was clear that anyway. Anyway, moving on. We're so polite on here. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, moving on to Serpico, I guess I didn't have a lot more to say about Azan other than I guess the role he'll play. Uh, in the future, I, I don't know. I can't. I don't see foresee a larger role than what he's been in the past. It will be cool to see the kind of equipment I guess he gets and how he'll respond to this new world. Uh, being kind of an old school guy himself, 
Uh, that being said, I don't think he'll be super surprised or super taken aback by it all, but it'll be neat to see his reactions, I guess. I think he'll be kind of surprised and taken aback because, I mean, I know he's like, I think his, you know, a big part of him was that after the Albion incident, you know, his, mm-hmm. his faith was sort of shaken after that, but he was, yeah. you know, the reason he really went back was just sort of his, you know, sense of responsibility and someone has to pick up the pieces and report on what happened. Right. But, you know, I think he's going to continue to sort of be, I'm, I'm interested to see his reaction to, you know, as he discovers, you know, all these amazing things about the world and it sort of challenges, like you said, that sort of like old school, sort of more conservative knightly mentality that he had. It'll be interesting right. to see him adapt. That, that's actually what I meant was the, he might he may be surprised, but I don't think it's going to stop him in his tracks. You know, he's the kind yeah. of guy that will adapt to whatever situation. You know, it, yeah. it, won't, it won't it won't totally you know sh- stop him from being you know, who he is. <laughs> He's not gonna you know throw down uh, his weapon and be like, "All right, that's right. <laughs> that's too much for me. I'm out of here." <laughs> We've already seen him fight the uh, the sea gods' tentacles and stuff, so he <laughs> yeah. seemed to respond okay to that. He's already seen quite a lot of supernatural stuff, and I think he's yeah. pretty pragmatic. So uh, I don't believe it will be a, a problem. Right. Yeah. I just mean like when he, if they give him like some magic armor or something, you know, mm. it's gonna it's gonna be. Inter- I mean, it would be interesting to see how he sort of interprets that. Is like you know, is it some sort of you know like no, it won't even be wrong like a you know a special you know holy object or something you know. Hey, if anybody was more suited to an Earth uh, weapon, you know, it'd be a son. You know? <laughs> yeah, of course. I think, you know, even at the time, it got refused, uh, you know, Earth axe. Yeah. You know, I was already thinking, man, Azen could use, you know, some stuff that sprouts mountains when you, you know, hit the ground or some shit like that, you know, so. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, Azan's one of my favorite characters. He, he, he's kind of the archetype of the kind of character that I like, you know, stalwart, uh, faithful, uh, noble, that kind of stuff. In any RPG, it's always my favorite characters. Just kind of, <laughs> kind of sentimental. He's that cyan. Way. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, I was going to bring up that example, but I thought it might be obscure for some people, but nope, clearly not. That's definitely what I mean, is cyan. But I'm uh, moving on to Serpico. Um, <clears throat> I wonder when the way Mira introduced these two characters, if it was intentional or not, uh, that they would ultimately be siblings. You know, do you think he had that uh, charted out, or, or do you think he developed that over time? Because I well, think it's, it's important to their development. It's hard to say, but I think uh, I, I seem to remember that from you know from the times they were introduced, he already planned for them to eventually join up with Guts. You know, yeah. like from. Th- their first appearance. So that's, that's already quite a lot of planning ahead, you know? Sure. Uh, so, but yeah, being siblings, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. The I, reason I, I br- guess, yeah, go ahead. The, re- the reason I bring that up is because there's a pair of twins in Gwyn Saga who have uh, light hair, light colored hair and they're companions as well. And it made me wonder if he was kind of riffing off of that or not. I mean, it's a little different of relationship. It's much less uh, yeah. intense, I guess, between the two in Gwyn Saga. But. Yeah, and uh, well, the thing, you know, the problem with Gwyn Saga is that it's a long series, you know, and that's like like the early volumes. And, you know, by the time, you know, I mean, at that point in Berserk, Mira's been writing Berserk for like, you know, 15 years. Yeah. So I, I don't know if, you know, I don't know if that would be a reference, you know, that, that could come at this point in the series. So I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, it's possible. Anyway, either way, it's possible he had already planned for them to have some kind of intricate, you know, story, something very complicated. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I can't, I can't ascertain that, uh, he meant it. Yeah. 
It was neat going back. As I said, I, I read through these episodes, volumes before we talk, and I, I don't think I'd read uh, Snow and Flames uh, in years. I'd say like six or seven years, maybe even longer. I don't think I'd ever read a proper translation of it. Uh, so it was really neat going back. I think it's one of those things that it's one of those side stories that I sort of took for granted at the time. I think it was in 2001 that came out, maybe 2002. I kind of took for granted, didn't really look into it very much, but it is a really neat little, very, um, what's the word, encapsulated story arc for, for these two characters. Yeah. It's a, it's a little, it's quite a bit different to me. It's so internal. All the dialogue is so internalized, uh, and, and from Serpico's perspective and everything, uh, it's, it's just, it flows a lot differently than any other story that I can remember in, in Berserk. It also feels a little different in that it's like, it feels like this very sort of archetypical, you know, sort of story that like could be out of like, I don't know, classic literature. Yeah. Cause you know, there's no, there isn't any supernatural elements or, you know, anything like that. It's, it's basically all just, you know, all just, you know, character, you know, yeah. like period setting and like, you know, the, it's all based around on literally like the, basically the society of the time too. Mm-hmm. And how that works, you know, in a way that the rest of it sort of, you know, transcends. So it's it's really interesting in that regard. And it's, you know, that you mentioned, you know, how different it is. Like, it just made me, you just made me think of that. Sure. Yeah, I, I just realized while while mentioning Stone Flames, it seems stupid to just talk about this by individual character. Rather, I'll just bring up character, whatever I feel like it. So <laughs> o- open invitation to whoever. Uh, the... One thing that struck me when, upon rereading this and rereading volume 18 as well was Farnese's association with flames. And, you know, you can say that that was tied off in a knot by showing how she was, you know, she burned heretics because the, the courtyard outside of her bedroom was where heretics were burned. And she, you know, was attracted to that because she felt that she was compelled by uh, and reinforced by the church and what she did. I tend to think there's more to it than that. And and, and it's every time that uh, I, re- I reread over Enoch Village on uh, the attack, the way Shirk was uh, possessed by the Lady of the Depths, it makes yeah. me wonder. With as as Farnese keeps going in her development of magic, I just keep thinking she might fall into that same entrance, uh, trance of fire again. And I wonder if that's going to play a role in the future. Even though she is such a dramatically different character now, she's stronger. She's much more self reliant than she used to be. It just seems to me that it is so much foreboding with that imagery of her and fire that it seems to me that, that that's not really a part of the story that's yet complete. Um, what do you, what imagine, do you know? imagine Serpico, you know, like when she's learning a fire spell. Yeah, it's like, uh. No, it but you like- know what? You, you bring up a really uh, – I think that is very plausible, not in the sense that she'd lose it, but in the sense that, you know, like say there's, you know, some sort of powerful, you know, fire elemental yeah. that like senses – senses her connection – to that element, you know, and like is able to, is able to, in a sense, possess her, like, you know, like what happened with Shirke. And, you know, she's obviously a novice. And I wonder if, if that would make a difference to Shirke, like if she knew that part of her history, if, you know, she would instruct her differently. I don't know. She knows that Farnese hunted down, you know, fake witches basically and fake heretics. And I think, I think she knows that I'm pretty sure. And I think, yeah, Flora says none of my brethren were among you or something like that. But did she did she know that you know she derived so much pleasure from it you know very yeah. in a very literal sexual sense? Yeah, doubt it. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Azil, we keep cutting you off, man. 
Yeah, no, it's no problem. I just, you know you're you probably going to be a skeptic. <laughs> I'm writing writing it down, you know, for the time where payback is due. So, uh, <laughs> which is very soon. So anyway, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not sure. You know, I don't know if she has uh, an affinity like with the fire element. You know, other than psychological. You know mm. what I mean? So yeah, she yeah. was fascinated by it when she was young and such, but I'm not sure she's like naturally gifted with, you know, fire or anything like that. And much in the same way that she okay when she was possessed by the idea of the death is because she was not careful and because the elemental was, you know, kind of pissed because it's, it hadn't been called on in many years and such. So yeah, I think uh, that being said, I, I'm pretty sure uh, it's going to be referenced at some point, like, you know, when Farnese will uh, be using a fire elemental. Yeah, I, to me, it's pretty obvious that there'll be a reference, whether it is, uh, you know, because she's good at it or anything like that, or she's losing control of, or whether it's just something more humorous, like, you know, when yeah. she said, when she announced she would, you know, take up, you know, you know, ma- ma- magic and you know, Sergio sure, sure. was like holding his head and such. So I- I'm pretty sure there'll be a reference, but I'm I'm not sure it means she's like gifted with fire and she's got some special skill or anything. Yeah, I mean, what what you say is reinforced by the fact that the concept has not been reintroduced yet since back in her childhood. You'd think they would make another hint at that. They haven't done that yet, but uh, yeah, I-, I tend to think that if it is going to be reintroduced, it would be. A significant development rather than in a side comment, you know. I, I don't know. That's just, I guess that's what I hope more than what I expect, you know. Well, I think, uh, I guess my take, and I think this is what As was saying, at the very least, there's going to be a side comment, but I mean, there could easily be a significant development with it. And I don't know, when we were saying she has like an affinity for, for fire, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's sort of hard to describe, especially like under the the new Fantasia rules, like where sort of like one's psychological connection to something ends and how that can translate into the real world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, it's just it's one of the, it's sort of elusive, but you, you know, you know what we mean. Sure. Um, I wanted you guys to jump off the deep end with me for a moment, uh, extrapolating what I just said. Uh, one thing I noticed in Snow and Flames is. A lot of her character motivation when she's a child and throughout as she's, as she's being raised uh, around her father is she's so dedicated to the way her father thinks and what her father wants of her. You know, she throws away a childhood toy that she cherished since she was even younger than that. Uh, she, she basically, she acts out when he wasn't there to pay attention to her. That's why she burned down a mansion because he wasn't yeah. around basically. Yeah, she wanted I, attention, I'll, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I, I wonder if that kind of relationship with her father can be transposed to her feelings for guts, and when guts isn't around for her anymore, when guts, you know, it, it, this there's this conflict being developed between her and Casca and guts. It's obviously going to blossom once Casca's awakened. But I wonder if that kind of hints of what her role might be, what kind of stance she'll take at that, if she'll might act out if guts is no longer there around her. Mm, well, this goes back know. to my uh, this goes back to my old theory when I first <laughs> like a long time ago I wrote that thing basically that you know. She was going to roll Casca up in a carpet and throw her off a bridge, you know, at the first opportunity. But, <laughs> but, but that was, you know, that was the old, that was based on, you know, the old Farnese because she hadn't had the developments she had. And it, and it just went in such a completely different direction than that, you know, where she literally became Casca's caretaker. And it was like, well, I guess I was wrong, you know, on that <laughs> one. But I can, I can see what you mean, you know, about it going forward, about them maybe having, you know, some tension, you know, I just, you know, just a sure. joking, it's, it's, 
It's tough for me to cite specifics because I'm mostly going off of feeling here. But yeah. I, I just, since I sense this tension between the, in my relationship and I wonder where it might go, I'm drawing from her childhood and how she acted out when she, yeah. she didn't have the authority figure that she mm-hmm. relied upon as a child. You know, That's all well, I'm trying to say, really. Half, half jokingly, if when Casca gets her mind back, it'll be, you know, there'll be two women and they already won't like each other just based yeah. on that. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know. That being said, I think, uh, you know, Farnese has grown a lot since then. And sure. she's not a child anymore. And I, I think, you know, she, there might be the temptation, you know, like not necessarily to do something like set a fire, but maybe to go off by yourself and put herself in danger, you know, just to, mm-hmm. to, you know, to be, you know, just gather attention and such. But yeah. at the same time, I think it will be a good occasion for her to realize it's just inappropriate and to grow, you know, even more from there, like to either keep herself in check or maybe have, you know, Serpico or Roderick, you know, you know, help her, you know, see that what she's doing is, you know, stupid or suggesting. And I, I think anyway, she, I don't know, you know, it actually brings up a good topic is what do you think her relationship with guts, how do you think that's going to evolve? Because obviously when Casca comes back, I mean, there's going, you know, at some point they're, they're going to have to, you know, determine, you know, who's going to get the prize, you know, mm-hmm. and that's not going to be sure. Okay. And <laughs> I... it's po- Sorry, it's like, sorry. Continue. Uh, it's likely not going to be Farnese either. So, you know, how is she going to react? How is she going to cope? Is she just going to go with Roderick? And, you know, if so, how is it going to happen? So, yeah, go ahead. Uh, okay. <laughs> me first. I go think, ahead. um, I think the way Farnese feels about Guts right now is a little misguided. I think because he's been such a big influence on her life and basically, you know, opened the door to her understanding of the world. I, I think the feelings she has for him aren't explicitly sexual. Uh, maybe, maybe they were initially as a result of, you know, torturing him and things like that, but I don't think in her, her heart that's how she feels about him. For, for her, Guts is like, you know, it's kind of like a spiritual guide in, in a way. Yeah, I, you know? I'm, go- I'm about to say, actually, I think he's a father figure. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's why I don't think ultimately yeah. it's going to be, that much of a barrier for her development because yeah. I do think she'll move forward with someone like Roderick because I mean it seems like that's kind of where it's going. Yeah. Well, that's it's interesting. Actually. It's interesting that you uh you brought it up because it just made me go off on sort of a mental tangent on like, well, let's forget what's what is going to happen, you know, because I mean, I don't think that, you know, like you said, like someone's going to be with guts and it's not going to be, you know, Shirke or Farnes or Farnese. Yeah. Oh, I slipped. But uh what if it, what if that did happen? I'm just thinking about this. Sorry, this is divergent, but you know, like if guts, like really, if Casca and uh, guts split, and like Farnese became like his awkward second girlfriend, that, oh, God. that he was with that everyone that everyone hated that he was with her. It would be like you know, it would, it would be like hard <laughs> imitating life, you know. And it's like she's this blonde, you know. And it's like what are you, what is he doing? <laughs> you know. Yeah. I imagine him growing a goatee in this scenario too, but. It's just funny to think about that, but on a on a serious note, I agree with you guys about you know the way she looks at guts. It's eventually going to you know rest as some sort of you know more like platonic you know fatherly relationship that he has with her. Although he's really not that like receptive to that. I mean, he's not you know he's not the type to you know sort of hand out wisdom. I mean, he does sure. it with his actions and very you know and like with some you know very practical just things that he says. But he's you know. He's well, kind of a tough guy to have as your spiritual guide because he's not gonna, you know, p- he's not gonna play up that role. But he's that's not like what, a I mean, teacher. 
that's why she sought him out to begin with was basically, you know, she, she saw him as someone that could survive in this chaotic world. And so she sought him out and wanted basically him to teach her how, and his response to her was like, you know, you can follow me around, but I'm not going to, you know, tell you, uh, yeah. I'm not going to give you orders or whatever, you know, just, you know, you can be around me, but that's about it. Don't, ex- that's not how I do things, you know, and that hasn't changed, you know, and as far as his feelings for her, I mean, I don't think he's really expressed anything at all uh, other than. I would, no, I just, I wouldn't say it hasn't changed. I think his position has evolved quite a bit. I mean, since oh, then, yeah. you know, they've when become I, his comrade I, and such. Yeah. All I meant was, what I mean is, he doesn't reciprocate her feelings. Yeah, in, of course in not. The way she feels about him. That's all. But I mean. I mean, he's shown kindness to her. You know? Of course. And of course. I, I think, you know, I think eventually, he's not going to consider his daughter or anything. But actually, I'm very proud of you know the father thing. I, I think it's really you know he's the father she never had. Even though they're like you know almost the same age, so I think that whole their relationship is going to evolve he's- until maybe. Until maybe they, they become friends, you know, like <laughs> friends uh, in the way Griffiths meant it, you know, people who are really, you know, not just, you know, she won't just be subservient to him anymore. Or I don't know, maybe something like that. But in any case, you know, it also ties up to what, you know, you know, Nina and uh, Joaquin's story, you know, compared to Luca. I don't know. I'm just, you know, bullshitting. But yeah, anyway, I, I think that's pretty determinant. And well, like you, like you said about the kindness he's shown her, you know, he's like, you know, basically what came to mind was the, the troll cave when he gave her, you know, validation. Yeah, you know, and it redeemed her for you know earlier when she had lost Casca, and yeah. you know he was clearly like disgusted with you I, know her incompetence. Yeah, I don't think you know I don't think it's right to say he just doesn't give a shit and he's like, oh yeah, you can come with me, but just just don't get well, in my way, you know. Yeah. Well, that's how it was. I mean, you know, obviously yeah. his feelings. Yeah. Yeah. But what's but interesting is he said that in the very in that very night. <laughs> I mean, you know, like you know, Walter said he's like, you know, he's not going to give them, you know, I'm not going to give you orders. You can just follow me around and be careful. But that very night, they're all standing behind him, and he's basically, you can tell he's, you know, leading them. Yeah. Like yeah. just by default, you know, so he says that, but I mean, that's well, from the when start. I, when, he, when he said, I won't give you, it wasn't, I won't give you orders. It was, don't rely on me to tell you the, you know, the way of the, the world or anything. Exactly. Exactly. You know, cause that's, you know, that's not his character. And I mean, that, what I meant by he hasn't changed in that is he's still that guy. He's still not going to expound, you know, volumes and volumes about the way the world is, you know, it's not. That's not yeah. guts, you know. So yeah, he's not Skull Knight, basically. Right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we didn't say a lot about Serpico because yeah, I was going to uh, say poor Serpico. When you when you said that, like, yeah, why don't we have to stick to one guy? Let's jump around. I was like, well, there goes Serpico. <laughs> I guess yeah. we're going to find Ace right now. Well, so much of him is, like I said, so much of him has been reactive. It's tough to just launch into Serpico as a character because he's so. It's such a weird passive character. Uh, I find myself having little to say about him, and I don't. It's not. It's not that I have like a problem with him. I don't like him or anything. I just. I mean, I don't, it's t- it's tougher to talk about him at length. I think because you of know the relationship. He, the most telling indicator of that to me is that he hasn't had like his own private moment. We very rarely are in his head. Like he hasn't had like you know even well, even some when we of- are. When we are in his head, it's about Farnese. <laughs> yeah, know? and it's and it's also very brief moments. There isn't like we haven't had a moment of deep introspection, like say where it's just like five pages where he's just thinking about you know like himself and his life and he's having some emotional crisis. He's always very like I think he says it himself mm-hmm. that he's always someone who doesn't you know really give in to his passions. He's never been that kind of person. 
Yeah. And so yeah. the closest we had was probably in my mind, and I'm probably forgetting is, you know, that moment where he goes and helps guts against the, the Kelpie and also the duel, mm-hmm. the final duel they have. Yeah. And even, well, the, even in that moment, right before he engages the Kelpie, he's reflecting about Farnese and how she's changed. Yeah. You know? yeah I mean, that's so forcing him to change. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I, I think, you know, uh, Sapico is, you know, not quite as much, but still in the same case, uh, than Azan is. Meaning, he hasn't, you know, evolved. Like, he's seen, you know, Farnese, you know, evolve, and we, we've often, you know, seen little, little scenes, you know, little just, you know, small parts where he just sees how she behaves and how she's changed, and he just, you know, he doesn't comment, you know, there's just, just, you know, dots, and he moves on. And I think eventually he'll have to, of, of course, move on himself, and it's going to be a big thing, and I think he's going to come probably uh, in Elfheim as well. Like, mm-hmm. he's going to have to, you know, he's commented before on how, you know, it was strange that he would be paired with uh, the wind as it's so unlike him, you know, him who is bound and just not free mm-hmm. and such. And, and I think he's going to embrace that sooner or later. And uh, when he does, it will be a big evolution for his character. So I think maybe Murad didn't want to tackle Farnese and Serpico at the same time, or maybe he just, you know, more likely, you know, uh, plan for Serpico to be reactive, like his evolution to be reactive to Farnese, much like everything he's ever done was reactive to, you know, what Farnese did. And, uh, but I think he's going to come eventually, and that's why he's been more or less static so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was just about to say, he's been maybe one of the most static characters in the series. I mean, we've seen more of him than Azan, but you could argue he's changed even less than Azan yeah. has, you know. Yeah. And because it, it's like, you know, Farnes has become a different person, whereas I feel like Serpico is still the same person, just in different circumstances. You know, he's, he's just, yeah. the situation around him has changed, and he's, you know, adapted to it, but he hasn't changed himself. Like, even things where, like, he goes from, you know... He goes when he, you know, he helped Guts, you know, and they always, they had a weird, you know, tension. And like when he helps him uh, when they're fighting uh, Daiba, you know, yeah. it's not like that's not something, you know, that's something he did because they're on the same team. But he would have done that, you know, for for, you know, someone in the, the Hicks, you know, it's not like, you know, that's just part of who he is, you know. He's he's competent and he would help, you know, his own, you know, team members, basically. Yeah, but it's not like... Goes- no, it's not ahead. like he felt something extra special for Guts. I mean, there was a connection there, but it was, you know. I don't know. Very... I, think, I think after their second duel, he rededicated himself not only to the group, but also to Guts. I mean, he trusts Guts with not only Farnese's life, but the group's life, lives, you know? Yeah. I, I think, I yeah. think there's a much more reinforced relationship between them now than there ever was. Before, you know. That being said, I just, I think, I mean, I don't think he's changed, you know, after the duel, you know, like the duel just showed him that Guts was, you know, one, not somebody he could kill. And two, the person who were, you know, I mean, the events afterwards showed that, you know, Farnese was most safe when she was next to Guts, you know. Yeah. But also yeah, the best chance. Yeah. He, you know, Serpico is himself, his personality is still the same and, yeah, I mean, the equations changed. He took some, you know, shot and he missed and that's about it. But the rest doesn't really change. So I agree with what uh, Griffiths is saying here. Imagine if, uh, like, you know, just for instance, because this is something that they've never explored with him other than his relationship with Farnese. Like, if he had, like, any sort of, you know, like, even if it was just a small aside, like a female, you know, love interest, you know, that he had on the side, where, he, like, he truly moved on. That would be, I feel like, the biggest development 
for his characters. We've never even really seen him in that context. Like, if, has there even been any allusion to him, like, having an interest in women, like, outside of Farnese at all? No. Like, no. you know, not even, like, you know, like, you know, the old Hawks members, you know, like, you know, Carcass <laughs> and, like, or, I don't know. It's just weird sure. that, uh, that's just, that's another aspect of his character that's totally, you know, cut off. Well, I mean, I, as we said before, I think it's because he's so dedicated to her uh, that he's not really thinking about himself. I mean, even when he pushes her away, when she embraces him during their flashback, it's mostly to protect them as, a, you know, rather yeah. than he's, he's not making a choice for himself and making a choice for her and, and them, you know, so. Yeah. Well, I just, I guess it would just be, I guess that would be most symbolic of a moving on because it's, because, it, you know, even though he, you know, he knows his place and knows how she's changing, there's still all these weird little awkward moments where like her and Roderick are, you know, on the ship, you know, talking, obviously getting closer and developing the relationship. And he's just sort of standing around like down below, but look, you know, but he's aware of them mm-hmm. and what's going on, but he just, he has nothing to do. He's well, just sort of, uh, he, he's he in is- limbo. He's third wheeling it right now, but I think that's yeah. simply, it's indication. Like we've said, it, we've said it before a couple of different times now. Yeah, I, I think there's something else, another part of the development that's coming in Elf Elman. I think Azil was the first to say, it, and I I completely agree that there's an open end for him that you know has not yet been played. So yeah, maybe he uh, find a girl there. You know, less well, yeah, that's the implication, right? I can't, or I can't, maybe can't around it. Or maybe. He's going Maybe. to, you know, find out that he's an homosexual and he's going to pair up with Azan and they'll be like, just, you know, yeah, yeah, you guys, yeah. you just wait and see. Yeah. All that, all that, all that, ten- all that tension between them in the very beginning has come back only, you know, now it's between the two. Yeah. Shoes. Remember when Azan just, you know, chastised him because of the little heart, you know, in the bubble. Yeah. I remember. I do. And he's going to play out. Yeah. I called it. Yeah. You heard it here first. So yeah. Berserk is basically going to become Modern Family. It's going to be... It's going to oh, be awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, before we move on from Serpico, I did want to say... Um, uh, uh, as Azil, I almost called you Guts for a minute there. It was weird. Well, uh, I don't mind. Yep. <laughs> you mentioned earlier Serpico's association with wind being a, a little... Um, what's the word? Paradoxical, given that he was felt bound. And, and plus the association of two trees that you know grew around each other you know but i think actually you know the way he fights and, and the way he thinks in combat it's very fluid it's very quick you know and that, I, I, don't, I think it makes sense that the silks would bind to him but i also wanted to point out one little thing i know i've already told you azil and you're skeptical but in volume 22 uh in snow and flames the flashback <clears throat> in the second part of it there's this part where uh, it's not even a dialogue sequence. He's just, it's just a panel or two where he's practicing out in the courtyard and there's, there's leaves blowing around and, uh, there's a panel where he spears like five or six leaves onto his sword and he, he just kind of looks at them for a moment. And then the scene transitions away. That's it. That's the only point of the scene is to show you, I guess he's a skilled swordsman was the implication at the time. But looking yeah. back with what we know, it is kind of neat to think that maybe that was an indication that he did have an association with, uh, the sylphs or wind in general, and that's why the sylphs make sense for for Serpico. That he always had an association with them because of the way that he fights. It's just something that came to me as I was reading the volume. Just something to think about. Response. I think I it's know. fair to say because you know I don't I don't think Mira had you know necessarily had that intention when he did that, but definitely retroactively, 
it might have, you know, been something that he thought, you know, hey, you know, this will this will work out very nicely or organically. Yeah. You know, where uh, he, you know. You know, well, I was just going to say, uh, you know, when Guts. <laughs> just like, nah. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm just going to say when Guts is uh, slashing leaves in Volume 5, you know, it's notifications <laughs> that uh, he's got an affinity with Wynn. So I don't know. I don't buy it. But, you know, I okay. won't, you know, I won't, you know, just, you know. You guys have fun, you know. Well, you can't say <laughs> for sure that it's not. Yeah, yeah man, yeah. it's all possible. I can't, pr- I can't prove that it wasn't the case, so yeah. But can you <laughs> prove that Roxas is an apostle? <laughs> oh, uh, my God, yeah, sure. What about That's when that... Serpico becomes an apostle after Zan, after their lovers? <laughs> oh, they, of course. Well, he sacrificed well, they, his harness. You know Let's let's go, let's do that real quick. Let's do a little quick. I, little no, I, you know what? I, I don't think it's as likely as it used to be, but it's still a trope that you know. It's because we are asking what what is the end goal yeah. for his character? Where is he going? And you know, the lack of a clear one right now does leave that door open. I guess we could just say in general: Do we think someone in Guts group? That's what do, I was going to ask. Think, yeah, do we think it's well, realistic to assume that it would you know it would be a neat turn, but just do we really think someone's going to become an apostle, or that it might? Happen a betrayer even? No, Let's just say. I, I don't think so. For a simple reason is that you know, guys, you know, right now a single apostle that is not you know one of the you know big five. I mean, it, it does it stands no chance like uh, you know against God. So I, I just don't know. I don't see how it mm, makes well, sense. I think it's more of what it would, the, I mean, think of the sort of, the yeah, psychological damage. Yeah, it would it's, it's to the me, emotional I, side, but, yeah. you know, the thing is, even from the, just, you know, the point of view of the story development, you know, I, I don't know where that would be going. So, I don't know, I'm just not convinced. To me, the thing, the biggest thing against it is that if it did happen, it would be so, it would be so psychologically damaging to them that it would, you know, it would, almost, it would undermine the group. Yeah, that was, that's yeah. what I was going to point out. Was that it'd be like an indictment of their way of life, you know, yeah. like completely apart from the the God Hand and the Apostles and everything. It would be a dramatic departure for that to happen. Uh, that being said, all, all that discussion aside, I just don't feel it. You know, that's what it comes down to. Is it just doesn't feel like what the Behir it's going to be used for. That well, being okay, said, yeah. you know, that being said, you know, only thing that's been said about the Behir was that you know it will return to its master in its time. Uh, but yeah, they because the, there is plenty of like arguable foreshadowing, you know. Yeah, you absolutely. Say, what it, well, then what is that Behirit for? You know, either Gus well, is going to use it to his advantage, or it's gonna he's going to get snake bit. I think. I think first of all, I don't think Mira necessarily had it charted out what the role of the Behirit would be. I mean, I don't know. We don't know either way. But that's just my feeling because it's yeah. it's been it's been foreshadowed in a number of different ways throughout the time. But I just tend to think that we've seen Behirits used in different ways, like for example, the ways Skull Knight uses them. I just tend to think that we'll probably see some another use, another way that it you know works in the world uh, with the one that Guts has once he comes to Elfhelm. And yeah, I keep laying it all at the, the feet of Elfhelm, saying solve all of our mysteries since we're right here anyway. But uh, maybe it won't happen there. Maybe it'll happen later. <laughs> we're gonna on. be disappointed when they get to Elfhelm and go, oh well, you need to go to New Elfhelm. <laughs> it's it's really you know, it's it's way farther away. Yeah. That, that being said, I, I think there's a, a case to be made for the importance of the Beherit. I think it might, you know, play a role at the very end of the story, you know, mm. in the in the fact that it's, you know, the kind of stuff like, you know, moved by the, you know, hand of, you know, its owner and such. So, 
Yeah. It was the idea of evil, so I don't know. I, I think uh, yeah, it could play a role at the very end. It, it might, it might actually be the kind of stuff like you know that was you know carried from the very beginning to the very end, only to play a big role at the end. He's gonna uh, drop it into into the pits of you know Mordor, the flesh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know it might. No, but it might like stop uh, you know a killing blow or something like that. Who knows? Anyway, I, I think I think it might be. Yeah, it, it will be interesting to see what happens with it. But I, I don't think it will necessarily be uh, somebody from the group becoming an apostle. That it is said, a, it is a powerful object that he. I mean, yeah. I mean, he has been holding on to it. God's stated reason for holding on to it is that he wants to you know use it against them essentially at some point. Right. You know, use yeah. it either to get to them, which he really probably do- he doesn't anymore. But, you know, he could still end up using it against them. I love yeah. the look on Flora's face when she sees that he has that. She's just like, where the hell did you get this? Why are you having an object like this with you, you know? Is she? It's sort of like this weird sense of like, it's like shocking, like a little disappointed. Like, oh, yeah. why, why? Like she found drugs, you know, like, <laughs> in his back. Yeah, the beer at Crack Rock. The whole I thing's know. intact. You're not still. swallowing these, are you? Because I know someone's <laughs> got a big problem, you know. This is... <laughs> But um, you, you know, you do bring up a good point, Azil, is that the Behir, that Behir has been around the entire series, you know, and it seems like if it's going to play a role, it's probably going to be a pretty significant one. It's not going to be a throwaway, oh, they met a character in Elfhelm, and that's where it was going to go all along. I, I imagine it's going to play a pretty big story role. Yeah. I just don't know what it is, you know. And so. I, I was going to say, uh, even though I'm not convinced that somebody from the group will become an apostle, I do think somebody might die, you know. I mean, I... It's not impossible. And if, if somebody has to die right now, I would expect it to be like, you know, Serpico or something like that. You know, he's the kind of character. He's been there long enough. Yeah. You know, for everybody to be attached to him. But at the you same know, time, someone you know, might die. Someone, you know, old school Ken Mura. He killed everybody. Okay. Not just <laughs> someone. He's gone soft. This is lame. Yeah, if this were Game of Thrones, everyone would die. Yeah, Yeah, like if this was really berserk, you know, know, everyone would already be dead. I mean, this is this is. (laughs) If it was actually, uh, you know, Game of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fire, Gus would have died by Volume Three. You know, well, yeah, Volume (laughs) One or Two, yeah. Um, Yeah, but you know, we've been wishing for Serpico's death for a while. It seems you remember uh, (laughs) around the time that I was visiting Azil in in Paris. Serpico was dueling guts, and everyone was like, "Yeah, he's dead." You know, Serpico's <laughs> no, Serpico's gonna die. I mean, that was the obvious, like you know, the, I say obvious now, but it seems stupid. But you know, it seemed like his time was up. Because what was the other outcome of that? You know, the outcome well, didn't I think seem it, like they were gonna be rejoined with the group. You know, so I actually don't think it was. I don't think we really thought that. I think that was just sort of like that was everyone's desired like shake it up alternative. Because it, it's obvious that you know, right, The right. most obvious thing is that everything stays intact. Right. You know, usually, like, when you've got, you know, something like this, like, it's just the way this, you know, the way the story goes, it's it's usual, you know, setup is going to stay intact in, in going forward. So that would have been something to really shake it up. But, you know, can you think in in retrospect, how could that, how could the group function or survive if Guts killed Serpico? <laughs> like, you know, we don't think, we think, we, you know, it's like, think about it now where it's like, yep, well, I killed him. Hey, Farnese, let's. Let's go. Let's get to the boat. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you know, everyone, everyone just looking at his like mangled corpse. Like, yeah, okay, that happened. He had it coming. Let's go. Like, in, in, instead of like using the the bricks to end the fight, you just like split his head open with that same <laughs> yeah, overhead. You know, you know? Slices him in half. <laughs> well, it is a, a little, time to move on. 
Yeah. And then everyone's like, what'd you do, Guts? Like, he had to go, you know? He challenged <laughs> my authority. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to the rest of you. It would really change the dynamic. It would be a dictatorship rather than a family. <laughs> oh, yeah. Still, now I'm, now I'm laughing at that possibility, so. Anyway, I wrote down so much for these three characters, but in the flow of conversation, it seems like we hit the bigger points. Uh, I have a lot of stuff from... Uh, there's just great lines from Serpiku throughout the whole time, but they're not super worth discussion. But um, I really, I really enjoy Farnese. I've, I've always liked her uh, from from the very, very beginning when she was first introduced. But uh, yeah, obviously her characters changed a lot over the time. You know, when she was first introduced in Volume 14 or so, you didn't quite know how much she knew about the world. She seemed, she has such an ominous presence in the very beginning, talking about the prophecy of the Falcon of Light and Darkness. Such a foreboding scene, and yeah, ultimately she's just kind of a dimwit, you know, the way she <clears throat> is ultimately introduced as a holy seas dimwit, basically. Yeah, she was like a, you know, you find out, you know, she seems like this real serious, you know, sort yeah. of character in the beginning, and then you find out like she's, you know, kind of a phony, like the whole thing yeah. is like a, a fake. Yeah. Like, a, yeah, it's a, it's a facade, so. Hmm. Yeah, but it's interesting the way she's, you know, grown out of that. Yeah, you know, I, in. In Farnese's development, I see such like an earnest attempt, and I don't say, I don't say attempt isn't as unsuccessful, but an attempt by Miura to create a very realistic character that's going through a dramatic change. Yeah. It does it piece have. by piece, you know, slowly over time. Like I said, her development occurs so slowly and over such a long period of time, more than most of the other main cast, you know. Uh, it's and just it's, interesting. Yeah. It's so basic, too, because it's not like, you know, I mean, it's funny, because I was thinking that, uh, like, literally about a minute before you said it, I was thinking, like, she, mm. in a way, she's really the most realistic character, but then I thought of, but she also, you know, was lighting people, and she was all this fantastical stuff, like, she's lighting sure. people on fire and leads this group, and that's not realistic, but just, you know, she's dealing with very basic emotional issues, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's nothing, like, you know, Guts deals with that, but he also is dealing with, like, monsters, you know, and how it pertains to that, whereas... You know, she was dealing with just with like her confidence mm-hmm. and, you know, the, her way, her place in the world, you know, very, very basic, you know, very human stuff that, you know, anyone can relate to. And so in that way, I, yeah, it was interesting that you uh, said that too, where like, you know, she, she's very, you know, down to earth and realistic in that sense, perhaps most. Yeah, and, and Mira spends a lot of time doing that, whereas he doesn't spend as much time developing a character like Isidro, for example. It's not nearly as much invested in the way he's developing. Yeah, but he's and he's not having, like, typical growing pains. Like, we don't actually right. see him going through that stuff. It's, you know, right. it's something that more serving, you know, the greater story. It feels mean to compare the two. I'm sorry, Isidro. <laughs> uh, I guess uh, we'll move on, no? You have anything Isidro else, guys? also get, uh Isidro also gets his fair share of development, though. I mean, he's been, you know, a bit toned down, you know, these yeah, days. Yeah. But it I just mean it. that it's like it's very specific to sort of like his life, his unique life, whereas, you know, it's not like just him, you know, like thinking about girls or like, oh, I feel awkward, you know, or something, you yeah. know, like <laughs> into his body or, you know, like he's not having issues like that. It's stuff like he needs to be the best fighter ever and he's, you know, his shortcomings <laughs> in that regard. Yeah. There's probably more to say about Isidro on another podcast, maybe. Maybe Isidro and Shiroke would do have a podcast sure. down the line eventually. Yeah, we haven't done one on her. I really like her a lot, too. Ah, I well. thought we did do a little bit on her, but maybe it was just the whole party we ended up... I think we just ended up talking about her heavily when we yeah, did, like, all that's group. right. We did a Guts Band episode, I think. Yeah, we could do a whole Shiroke, like, a couple yeah. of them, even. Yep. 
Okay, we're getting off topic now, but we'll move on to the next section. Uh, I recommended that you guys played uh, the Fire Emblem demo on 3DS because it's freaking excellent. But Azil, you're saying that you cannot play it because it's not in European European release yet. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. yeah, I get fucked, you know, as usual. Well, I'm used to it, you know. Fuck you, fuck you, everybody. <laughs> Here, let me yeah. let me send you this Hulu video, man. It's hilarious. You want to? Oh, oh, yeah. So. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're not missing anything on Hulu, man. Hulu is garbage. Hey, well, Magnum you know. PI is on Hulu, season one. I'm watching it with Tina. Sorry, I, I actually I, I say that, and yet it also has the entire run of the Cosby Show, which has, which is also awesome. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, I guess I don't feel bad anymore. Yeah, but Fire Emblem, uh, you know, I, I try. I've never, first of all, I'm new to the series. I I know Azil, you played uh, the one on GBA. I'm assuming. Yeah, I've played two of them. Uh, I don't remember the titles, but uh, sure, yeah, they're, they're all kind of pretty neat. Was that one yeah. of the ambassador games? Like it was, one of the yeah. Fire Emblems? Okay. So now oh yeah, I, yeah, one of them is. I tried playing it on whenever the ambassador program came out, and I, I couldn't get into it. It just seemed really rudimentary, and so I, I just kind of skipped over it. And I started playing this demo, and I was really into the demo, but it ends so quickly. It ends after two missions, and I'm just like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to buy the game, but in the time being. I started playing the Ambassador Program game again, which is uh, Swords Sorcerer. I can't remember the name of it, but generic title. Anyway, uh, it's really good, uh, but it's a lot of dialogue. And when I say it's a lot of dialogue, it's a lot of shitty fantasy genre dialogue, and uh, that's kind of unfortunate. But but uh, Awakening, the 3DS title, it's extremely polished, and I, I didn't. I kind of jumped in this with a very little expectation. But everything's super, super slick. Uh, the dialogue actually is really well done. It's very well, uh, what's the word, localized. Nothing feels uh, overly stated, I guess. It's really, and the graphics are incredible too for, for what it is, for a strategy RPG. But, uh, and it also manages to retain its roots in that it's it's still an overhead tactical game where you're, it's, an, it's a grid pattern game. It's not like FF Tactics where there's multiple levels and multiple heights. It's not like that. It's a straight, straight up overhead, you know, Move your character in a grid 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 formation, but it's still very interesting, uh, and I'm looking forward to buying it eventually, next week maybe. Mm. Pretty much all in plan. It's out in uh, April here, so I'll have to wait. Okay. I can't believe they don't have the demo. Maybe they'll have it closer to release. They'll have it on. Yeah, of course they'll have it. Uh, you know, at the end of March. But uh, yeah, the point is, we're getting it uh, two months after you guys. That's too bad. Well, I can't always win, you know. I think. Uh, hey, didn't, didn't Europe get the, you know, the PS Vita that got like a hundred PS One yeah. games or something? On the, on the on the PSN network, they had more games. Yeah. You also got. Um, there you go. That makes up for twenty years of you know yeah. getting the shaft, right? <laughs> hey, hey, hey! Come on. You also got the good uh, ICO cover. Not the shitty yeah. one that we got in the US. Well, that's, that's because like... we've got good taste. We're not, you know, fucking loud asses. It just, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whatever insult I can come up with. I want know, an, I want an awful CGI cover. I don't want, I don't want something drawn. <laughs> what is that from yeah. a museum? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Sure. I threw, we, we got, we also got, uh, a few games before you guys, like Xenoblade and Pandora Store. I, I don't think you guys got it. Uh, yeah, you can, you can have them. <laughs> you know, actually, these are pretty good. You know, for the Wii, I guess they're, they're pretty good. Honestly, did you, did you, did you finish Xenoblade yet? Uh, no, but I finished oh. Pandora's Tower, and I highly recommend. Right. Actually, but, Pandora's Tower recently confirmed for US release. Nice, and Xenoblade is uh, as a problem is a British dub. You know, oh, my mm. God, it's a British dub. It's a good thing you can choose the Japanese one. <laughs> I mean, I, I, 
I don't like the fact that I can't understand what they're saying, you know. When they're just hey, speaking. what? This governor? But, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just, my God. I mean, they're, they're really, they've got the accent. It's like they're not faking it. It's like, you know, at the, at the pub. It's fucking, whoa, oh, it's crazy. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, I had wow. to change it because I couldn't endure it. It's like when you hear, you know, those French guys at, uh, you know, video game conventions and just, they just speak so horribly, I can't endure it. Same same kind of <laughs> shit. <laughs> this is, this is zombie. Yeah. Like, soft. So, yeah. <laughs> now you are a zombie. Now I'm talking like French Iwata or something. I don't know where that was coming from. Oh my god. Yeah, it's, it's not that bad actually. You, <laughs> you, you, you do it pretty well. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I feel bad for those Ubisoft guys. Yeah. Well, that's why I don't listen to myself on the podcast, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I haven't been playing much more, I don't think, anyway. Um, no, you guys are going to be grossed out by what I'm playing. So. Oh, yeah, let me guess. Time. It's Diablo 3. Nope, it's Diablo one and two. Oh, <laughs> gotcha. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, why yeah. that's less. Gross. Hmm. It's, I mean, it's not as gross as Diablo three, honestly. It's I, not I, as gross, but it's like it's more insane because it's like why, why are you still playing Diablo? Like, you know. Yeah. Actually, it's it's actually kind of interesting. Diablo two. I'm just like I'm playing that with a friend who like still plays Diablo two, and is, he's really he's really good at it. Like he's just his character is ridiculous, <laughs> and he basically like just is leveling me up. And giving me all sorts, like all the best shit, like oh here's some IK armor, you know, and it's like okay, all right, <laughs> this is fun, rebuilding my old character. But the more fun thing is actually I'm playing Diablo One on uh, my phone through uh, EPSXE, and that's wow. a lot of fun because it's like you know I was thinking like you know why don't they have you know you know if they had Diablo on here that would be great, and then you know I saw that you get this emulator and I realized oh they had you know Diablo for PlayStation. And, you know, I never played it because I, you know, I preferred the PC version. I didn't even sort of touch it. But it was, it's really a lot of fun to do on here, like playing it on the bus. And, you know, it's perfect. It's perfect. That kind of game is actually perfect for, you know, gaming on the go because you just walk around, kill things, build up your character, and then stop at any time. Mm-hmm. So, what I don't is, know, it's uh, a lot of fun. How are you doing it with Diablo 2 then? Diablo 2, I'm just playing on my computer. Oh, okay. I thought you were doing that. Yeah, Diablo, Diablo, yeah, Diablo 2, I'm just playing straight. And Diablo 1, I'm just playing it on my phone. I mean, it's, mm. if I was, if I replayed Diablo 1 on my PC anyway, I don't think, I don't even know if Battle.net still works for Diablo 1. I'm sure there's some crazy people still on there. Oh, I'm but, sure it's uh, still, I'm sure it's still around. Yeah, you know, guys like, you know, <laughs> trying to kill each other outside of town or duping or whatever is going on in Diablo 1 still in their communities. But yeah, I'm just playing on my phone. And the other thing I'm replaying is Final Fantasy 7 on there. Oh, wow. And it's, yeah, which was, you know, the first the first thing I loaded up to test it was Final Fantasy Tactics just because it was a small game and I could mm-hmm. transfer it over easily. And then, I, and then immediately when it worked, I put on Final Fantasy 7 just to see, like, wow, is this going to work? And it's it's actually pretty flawless emulation as in you know playstation emulators on the pc you have to go through a lot of trouble and basically tailor the graphics settings to the kind of game you're playing whereas on here i think they've actually by default set it so that it emulates it the way that it looked so it doesn't like you don't get the benefit of like oh hey the you know the polygonal elements are in you Mm -hmm. know high or high res now because it's on a high res screen but it looks the way it did on your TV. Like everything looks the way, you know, you remember it. So yeah, it's that, actually I, very cool. I've always felt emulators miss the point a lot of times with offering so many different options and ways to gimmick it up. Whereas they make should it, have make a, it look a, right. 
Yeah. Make, how about the mode that yeah. says it, it runs exactly like it's supposed to look? And also, it's other mode where you can toy with the graphic settings, things like that. It's so rare to get that perfect, you know. And getting a perfect yeah. is important. So, because that yeah. was my that was my sort of uh, sense of like foreboding I had before I like because I actually had to pay for this emulator. I didn't bought like you know anything basically, all free games and stuff like that on the phone. Because I didn't want to, you know, buy something and then, you know, get a new phone or whatever. I, it, basically, my 3DS is like scared me off of, you know, building a huge library of software that I'm not going to use. And so I, I had to decide which one I was going to get. There's basically two of them on there, and I got ePSXE because I'm, I've used that program on my PC before. And also because apparently you can transfer the saves very easily between your phone and your PC. So I could be playing it on both. Like, Essentially, like play it on the go and then uh, mm-hmm. come home and uh, you know. Do they call that? PC. Is that called transferring? Is that what they call that? Hmm. Nobody gets no, nobody gets that. That's too bad. I, I know. I was I was thinking like, what's the joke here? Because he's not me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just you know. Yeah. It's it's what Kojima called it. It's what Kojima called the technology that goes between your Vita and your PS3. You, try, you can play the, the Metal Gear Solid collection on Vita or on PS3 and the technology to trans- right. save See, is called Cyan, Cyan isn't too obscure a reference. That was, obs- <laughs> that, was that was an obscure reference. My I friend. bet some people will get that. <laughs> but uh, your wife after you tell her. Like, yeah. but, Probably uh, not my wife, no. Yeah, no, no. But uh no, anyway, it's just, it was interesting. It was, it was, it was a funny experience. I was playing it like on a LA city bus and I was thinking like, it's just like I'm in Midgar. <laughs> it's very nerdy, you know, wow. sort of, I, feel, I feel the oppression as I'm surrounded by, you know, these, these poor souls. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm just trying to relive my glory days and it's like that extra lame, like, Oh, look, I, I can do it on my phone. You know, basically just seeing everything I can do on there. Right. Yeah. But, uh, and Azil, you haven't, it seems to me you haven't had a lot of free time lately, so you probably haven't been playing much. Yeah, no. Uh, well, I finished uh, Mark of the Ninja. Oh, awesome. That's cool. Yeah, finally, which was a, a neat game. And uh, yeah, I've been replaying. I, I noticed the other day, as, as you know, that uh, the sequel to 999 on the NDS mm-hmm. uh, had come out. That's right. So. Yeah. So I'd never finished the game actually. I've, you know, I've done most of it, but I still haven't got a good ending. So yeah, I picked it up again and, uh, yeah, I'll be trying to finish it. And then I wrote the sequel because, uh, I had a pretty good time with it. I'm still having, you know, I guess a pretty good time, even though I can't fucking find, you know, that ending. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, about it. I haven't had much time to play or anything else these days. Been pretty busy. <laughs> I feel like I'd like to try 999, but I've seen some videos and character art, and the character, the art really turns me off. It's like super, super anime style, uh, visuals. Mm, I don't know. Design. It's just, I think it's just standard anime style. Honestly, I don't think it's overboard or anything. I, uh, isn't, isn't some chick like wearing a necklace and that's about it for a top, basically? Uh, yeah, well, there's one chick, yeah, that's, that's, she, she's dressed, uh, you know, not, Heavily dressed, let's say, but it's, it's uh, <laughs> that's, that's a, I mean, it's part of a character and, you know, it's not okay. like, you know, I mean, the, the other characters continuously, you know, color on it, like, you know, she's, uh, it's, it's not just 
to titiate a uh, you know, player or anything like that. That's part of the character. And this, it's okay. this, just this one character. And she's not just, you know, I mean, it's not supposed <laughs> to be sexy or anything. So if your, yeah. if your wife and or girlfriend saw this character though, what would they think of this game, you know, that you're playing? Uh, uh, that- yeah. Well, it's just this one character. Come on. <laughs> You know, it's, I know it's mean to pick on the one. I'm just saying that was my impression from looking at some of the pictures. I was like, I don't want to play this. If it has this kind of like a t- approach to people, whatever. I know it's just a random thing to pick on. Yeah, but no, it's true. I mean, I, I can understand why you would have that impression. But yeah, in this case, it's just this one character and it's, sure. I mean, it's, uh, it's part of the story and, and everything. It's not, I mean, we, you don't know why she's dressed like that, but, you know, at the same time, that's part of the mystery. You know, why is she dressed like that and does it play a role and such? And yeah, it's, it's, uh, I mean, don't let that, you know, you know, how to say, keep you from playing the game because, uh, it, it's, it's a pretty good game, honestly. Sure. Uh, it's, it's one of the, I mean, overall, it's one of the games uh, I like the most on the NDS. Wow. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> One of the 40 games I like the most on the NDS. <laughs> oh, I was about to say, there's a ton of good games on DS. I was wondering how high are you ranking it. So. Yeah, yeah, don't ask me to rank them. I can't choose. I mean, I can say uh, Infinite Space is number one, but that's about it. Yeah. Well, I wanted to speed things along. i got to leave pretty soon, but I did want to say real quickly, I'm now using Windows 8, uh, and despite some initial hiccups, I kind of like it now. Uh, and I'm, getting, I'm still getting used to working with it on a daily basis as far as like, you know, doing what I'm used to doing within the Windows 8 environment. Um, I do think it gets a bad rap because it is quite a departure from Win 7. The removal yeah, of the start menu for one. You know, actually, the first thing I did was add my start menu back because I, I tend to use my start menu. I use the run command a lot. I use search command a lot, you know. And, and the way those are integrated into Windows 8 is not super, super great. And so that aspect, I think, is a big problem. But I really actually really like the way Metro apps, you can integrate them into your desktop on the way you can use a, you can use a split screen. You can use like an eighth of your screen as a dedicated environment for an app. Like for me, I use notes or Gtalk as a dedicated part of my monitor now. And that's a Metro app. Uh, and the rest of my screen is just my normal, you know, desktop environment. And other than that, I'm running windows eight on an SSD or a solid state drive. So everything's like super, super snappy now quick and so i'm really enjoying it. i think it's uh a 15 dollars well spent for my operating system so anyway uh the last thing i wanted to talk about was uh star wars slash star trek and jj abrams since that's kind of the talk of the town right now um my wife and i rewatched star trek the jj abrams version last night again uh, mostly because actually we've been watching tng uh, next generation recently and we were just curious about how we'd look upon the, the newer one still holds up. It's a pretty damn good movie. And my problem with it has always been, and it still remains, it's pretty much just just a fun ride that's well done. It doesn't yeah. have the, – the movie itself doesn't have a lot of heart or a lot of soul, you know? Yeah. Uh, it doesn't get into really, the core of like those Star Trek questions about, you exactly. know, exploration and the other. It has none of that actually. It is uh, it is just barely a sci-fi movie. It's sci-fi in premise alone, you know, the fact that they're in space – the fact that there is it's, some time travel involved. It's but Star it Wars. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much Star Wars, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's a great launching point to what I'm about to say is, you know, Abrams now is confirmed to be Episode Seven's director. And, you know, before this rewatching of Star Trek, I was skeptical because I still associate Abrams with Lost. I know that was just one of his, you know, small involvement projects that he's had among billions of others. But uh, that's still who I associate his name with, and it's kind of a stigma to me, but... 
rewatching this, I can see the pieces kind of sort of fitting together in my head about how a Star Trek adaptation or a star, a new Star Trek movie might look under his helm. And it, it probably, it's probably going to be pretty slick. Uh, the production design in Star Trek is really fascinating. They do a lot of small touches to, to hint at the, you know, the next, the, the original series, uh, influence, uh, the sound effects for one, the set design, the, the, the walls have similar lighting patterns and things like that. I can see how those things might tie into a Star, a new Star Wars movie. Can you imagine the old technology feel of the, the old trilogy in Star Wars? How cool that was, like being on board the yeah. Millennium Falcon, seeing that in a more modern setting, but still kind of grungy or dingy. I imagine they're going to carry over that same kind of visual element. They're not going to ditch that. It's going to look pretty freaking awesome. I have, I have to say, I'm really excited to see what they come up with now. You guys, yeah, I'm, I, I thought when I heard it, when I got the news, I sort of, I, I guess a lot of people, there's been like a, Ugh, you know, that same sort of like the lost guy. And I, I felt that too, where it was like, oh man. But then at the same time, I was like, you know, I thought of the Star Trek adaptation. I was like, you know, it makes sense. And it kind of works. Yeah. And this was kind of going south, actually, was sort of like the word, you know, the, the last word we had on it, that it was like, Nobody wants to do this. You know, Brad Bird is, you know, they're trying to get Brad Bird and it's like, well, why can't they get him? Well, it's probably because he's like, you know, he doesn't want to do it. Like they're all saying things like, oh, you know, Abrams said this and I think Brad Bird had a similar quote like, oh, well, I'm going to enjoy it as a patron, you know, <laughs> like I'm going to go see it like everyone else. It's like, well, why don't you guys fucking do it? You're not going to enjoy it if they have to give it to like Zack Snyder. Or, oh, you know, damn. or someone even lower on the totem pole because, like, everyone's saying no. So I was actually – there's also a sense of relief that they gave it to, like, you know, someone someone with a name, someone that's done big things, someone that's undertaken projects, you know, like this, like the Star Trek project. And he yeah. wasn't even a fan of Star Trek. You know, he didn't even, like – you know, he admittedly said, like, he didn't, you know, understand it. Like, it wasn't a big deal. He was just doing it like a job because he knew it was a big thing. You know, and I think, so I think this, that's a good thing because they can't. Well, that that's that's the debate: is that is this is it is it worse that he's such a Star Wars guy? No, I think that's a good approach. Because, yeah, I think well, it's good too. Yeah. Because I mean, you can get pulled down to the undertow of fandom, you know. Yeah, As I'm, I'm sure we can relate to. It's hard for us to view. But you know what? Objectively, now you know. I'm not but worried he about to that. Do justice. Yeah, he'll want to do it justice, but I think more importantly, because he'll, it'll, it gives him that sense of wanting to do Dutch justice. I don't think it'll be a detriment in the sense of him like becoming, you know, getting that sort of fanboy problem. Is I bet he doesn't look at it the same way most Star Wars like fans look at Star Wars. Like I've read his interview where he's talking about it, and he was talking about like his love of the filmmaking aspects of it and all that, and how it blew him away. He wasn't like going like, "Oh my god, I love Han and Chewie," you know. It wasn't, yeah. you know. I don't think he's going to get caught up in that. So, you know, I, I I'm not worried about that being a problem. I think it's, yeah. I actually think it is a good fit. I, you know, other people have said, you know, like they, I'm not really sure of like what the, like I would have been happy with Brad Bird, but you know, he's only done like most of his movies, like all of them. I think it's a Ghost Protocol are. Uh, are animated features. So I don't know why he, you know, why everyone thought he was like the guy for this or why some people thought that. Brad Bird did yeah. Ghost Protocol? Yeah. He directed oh, really? Ghost Protocol. Yeah. Oh, wow. What's funny yeah. is like, yeah, I guess was, I was thinking like, is, is Mission Impossible 4 that much better than 3? You know, that they think Bird yeah. would, you know, be so, you know, I don't know. I think, yeah. you know, Abrams has a lot more practical experience. Yeah. And, and you know, state. go ahead, go ahead, Azil. 
I was going to say, uh, I don't know if you guys saw uh, Super 8, you know. I didn't it's, uh, actually. Yeah, it, it's, oh, it's, uh, it's on my list. It's on my, it's on my list to watch still. Well, you know, I saw it and uh, it's a movie from Abrams that aims to, you know, be, I don't know, it's some kind of an homage to Spielberg, you know. Right. But, you know, while being its own thing. And, you know, I saw it and actually I think it's pretty good, you know. I mean, it, it has, you know, it's very cliche in some ways and it's not, you know, super original or anything. But, you know, there are some parts of the movie I found were really well done, really well done, you know, kind of like the old, you know, Spielberg ones. And so, yeah, I'm I'm pretty confident that the guy's talented as a filmmaker. So, yeah, from that, you know, aspect, I'm I'm not very, you know, scared or anything. And as for Lost, yeah, I, I knew from the beginning that he was just, I mean, he, he developed the concept of the series, but after that... He was just part of the, you know, pilot and then he left. Yeah. So, and yeah, there's also the, the fact, like you said, Griff, I, I don't know. I'm, let's say I'm more reassured that he's a fan than, you know, if you were not. Like, I don't think he necessarily, I'm, I'm not at all a, a Trekkie or fan or anything like that, but I don't think he necessarily did uh, Star Trek justice. Like, he, it wasn't fun ride, but he didn't really touch. I, yeah. I, I feel, I feel it kind of lacked the, you know, original spirit of the series and you know for star wars i I think i think he's going to nail it in that regard and uh you know i'd rather see that than have something like the berserk movies you know where it's just you know just a a train wreck and uh (laughs) yeah after the you know new trilogy for star wars i don't think i don't think it could be worse yeah, like that's, yeah, that's exactly. the thing to me. It's like there's nowhere. It's like everyone's like, "Oh, this is such a ruination for Star Wars." It's like, "Hey guys, it's in ruins." <laughs> you know, it's like it's already in ruins. So you know, if it if it goes up to like a C, you know, we're we're doing good. It's a it's yeah. a rehabilitation at that point. It, it's worth it's worth reiterating. It's not that it's in ruins. It's been in ruins for yeah, it's freaking it's, decades. You know, yeah. you know, yeah, it's ruined. Yeah, it's been it's ruined. <laughs> so don't worry about you know Abrams ruining it or anything. I mean, whatever. Even if he, even if it's underwhelming, whatever he does, I I know it's going to be better than any of those prequels. Yeah. I mean, are we confident of that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just on its own, it's going to be better. It might not be more Star Wars or whatever, but it's probably going to be a better, just a, you know, a a competent filmmaking effort is what you I know, can't imagine it being. Uh, and that being said, after all the shit, you know, the extended universe, you know, is essentially just glorified fan fiction. And there have been guys who have loved all this shit, you know, for years and years and decades. So, you know, I doubt any of them is going to complain about whatever comes out of the new movie, you know. Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting? You mentioned how he didn't, like, really do Star Trek justice. Yeah. Is the way he – I think I read in one of the interviews shortly after he was picked – in his own words, he, his approach to Star Trek was that Star Trek compared to Star Wars, like he, his, his whole like approach was almost like Star Trek had to catch up to Star Wars, that Star Wars was on this other level and he was trying to get it there. So if you're a Star Trek, you know, that's good if you're a Star Wars fan. <laughs> yeah. If you're a Star Trek fan reading that, you'd be like, this motherfucker, you know. Basically, he's used Star Trek as a springboard to do to the big leagues, you know, of Star yeah. Wars, which is would be infuriating well, for a you know, Trekkie, but if, so, if so, I was like seven, I would love as it. Fi- <laughs> as, as films, though, it's hardly arguable, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the sad thing is I only watched uh, his Star Trek movie because I knew it wasn't, you know, really Star Trek. Otherwise, I wouldn't have watched it. 
Yeah. Dude, you, you need to get over that. Because Star Trek has some decent stuff in it. I know, no, you like, know, I, I, I don't hate on Star Trek just for the sake of it. It's just, you know... It's the same yeah, reason you won't read Vagabond or Breaking Bad. No, it's just, it's just kind of boring. I mean, it's kind of boring. At least it bored me when I was younger. I always, I couldn't, you know, see past the, the fucking cheap aspects of it, you know, like the cheese, you know, it's like all cheese all over. But, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, purely out of intellectual curiosity, I, I might watch it sometime. You want to you know, be when, curious when to see a show where they go to a planet where, like, it's run by Nazis? It's a Nazi planet. <laughs> If for some reason, yeah. in like the twenty third century, <laughs> we've we we started watching the the old uh, the original series stuff, just kind of like here and there. Uh, I've still yet to see an episode where I didn't sort of laugh through it uh, because of the <laughs> because of whatever reason, because of the acting, the extras ruin a lot of those scenes. The premise is always kind of ridiculous. <laughs> uh, it depends on but, uh, it. Really depends on what season you're watching. Like the first. Two seasons, We're still in the they actually. Season. Okay, well, I guess I, I don't have much of an argument, but <laughs> I was just okay. going to say that they did have like a lot of prominent science science fiction writers of the day contribute scripts and mm-hmm. use them early on. So you're you're bound to run into some pretty. Have you did you look at City on the Edge of Forever? That's the one we're about to watch. Oh, alrighty. So yeah, if you don't like that one, it's probably just not going to be for you. Okay, that's fine with me. <laughs> I'm ready uh... to quit. <laughs> But as far as like my expectations for this new Star Wars, my, my, my whole thing is like, I don't really care if it, if it's a decent movie with lightsabers, that's not enough for me. You know, it, it has to, to me, I, I would like to, to capture the spirit of the series and then leave it at that. You know, if it can sort of feel like a Star Wars movie and still be modern and polished, I'm happy. I mean, the lore things aren't super important to me, like at all. Yeah, even this, the story is so little of, of little importance to me, you know? See, so. that's actually what I'm least worried about is that the really? spirit, cause I feel, yeah, cause I feel like that's like what Abrams has been trying to do in all of his work from Lost to, you know, like the Star Trek to, you know, what Az is describing in Super 8, trying to pay tribute to that Spielbergian, you know, that old mm-hmm. school Lucas and Spielberg movie that, that that's where he like, and you know, again, those interviews, like, well, let me check my notes. <laughs> it's the new notes. My interview, the interview is, uh, is that that spirit, you know, was really sort of one that he takes, you know, it gave him his sort of uh, ethos for, you know, how you want to make movies and sort of the, mm-hmm. the vibe you want in movies. So I feel like that's sort of like already a natural fit. Okay. Like that, I feel yeah. like that's almost like, that's just like, that's what he tries to do in anything he makes. So hopefully, right. unless he gets screwed up by like trying to like live up too much to, you know, the original, then mm-hmm. it, it ought to take care of itself by virtue of the choice of him. So I'm, I'm actually not worried about that. It's actually the lore. I'm wondering about if they're going to, how much is it going to be too much of a departure to where it's like, you know, is, this doesn't feel like star Wars anymore in this sense, because it's like, it's all unrecognizable. I, I hope it is. I, I hope they don't draw too much from what's been done in the past. I hope it's kind of, do we I hope it is kind of <laughs> new. Do we want to see old Mark Hamill? No, God, <laughs> with no. a beard. <laughs> we probably, we probably will though. I yeah. What about a? I don't want to see ancient Han Solo. I mean, let's Harrison oh, Ford no. can go make Indiana Jones five, you know, instead because I don't need to see like, hey kid. <laughs> <laughs> I bet I, I'm, I'm sure we will get some kind of cameo though from those characters. I just I just don't think that yeah. they're not going to play a central role, and because of that, I, I I tend to think the story will be a newer story. But I mean, I don't know. Obviously, no one really knows at this point. I think if they had, if they brought back Hamill, and they, it doesn't even have to be like, you know, he could be in the movie 
for 10 to 15 minutes, and it would be yeah. more exciting than anything from the prequels to fans, just because yeah. it's like, holy shit, this really is a continuation yeah. of Star Wars. Yeah. Well, similar yeah. to Leonard Nimoy's appearance in Star Trek, which, again, yes. I thought was fantastic. So Yeah, it was, you know, brilliantly done. So, you know, if they can do anything like that, I mean, just even just the, the symmetry of, like, he's like Obi-Wan, you yeah. know, now, basically. I don't have much else to say about that, uh, but I'm no longer frightened of it. Let's just put it, leave it at that, I guess. Yeah, I have, I have higher expectations for that movie than I had for movie two and three after seeing movie one. Oh my yeah, god, definitely. Jesus. <laughs> you know, actually, well, you after you didn't think after, movie three was awesome in the Emperor versus Yoda. Come oh, on. <laughs> me, me, me and Azil, me and his, me and Azil saw episode three together in theaters. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were. Uh, I remember, I remember laughing out loud. During- I just imagine you guys like coming out of the theater and like you like flipping a cigarette away and ass throwing down a glass of wine. <laughs> you know, I actually, I actually distinctly remember the buzz around the movie at the time was it's not so bad. Was a lot of or the like, buzz around. It, it redeems three. it. It was all yeah. worth it. You know? Yeah, exactly. And, and so, so like the same hype that we're getting with Berserk movie three, it's going to all be worth it with the it, eclipse. That's, that's, that's a pretty good example, actually. Yeah. So we went we went to episode three. I went to episode three at least with sort of an open mind, like, hey, maybe it won't be complete garbage. But no, it was even way worse, way worse than I could have imagined it would have been. <laughs> I actually, when I first saw it, was sort of like just overwhelmed with all the stuff that was in it. Like it was literally just like, wow, you know, like I could, you could see the effort was there. Like Lucas yeah, was like, really. I know. I really. That's how I felt after I saw it. I was like, you know, I felt like Lucas tried to do everything, and you know, the kitchen sink thrown into, and mm-hmm. it. Just, but it, you know, it was just bad. You know, it was just he doesn't. He didn't have it. You know, yeah, it's terrible. Was, yeah, you know, it's like it was like it was it was like fan fiction over the top, like the Emperor versus Yoda, and and, and you who, know, trying could, to make Vader could, trying to make Vader hard. You know, because it was like everyone yeah. was making fun of the kid, and then making fun of what a puss Anakin was. Who and can forget like, the, the 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 no her around the world. I mean, that's still like the most laughable moment in the whole fucking. Oh my no. god! So terrible. <laughs> the worst part for me actually has to be when uh, he just goes and kills uh, little kids. You know, the younglings. Yeah, sure. Yeah, the younglings. Yeah. No, you see, just... I was gonna say that's that's how they tried to make him hardcore. Like, yeah, maybe like yeah. they made him like a child molest. I thought he was gonna kill all the Jedi because he was like better than them. That was like yeah. remember that was like. The funny thing, I, okay, we're getting really into a horrible prequel talk here, but it's you know the just the the illusion you get to those earlier stories from the the four episodes four, five, and six. You know, sure. you basically get this vision of Han Solo, not Han Solo, but as Anakin is like Han Solo with the Force, like a scoundrel, a cool guy, yeah. an ace pilot, but he's got a little bit of a you know a streak in him, like a scoundrel streak that could lead someone to the dark side. Yeah. And that was, I think that was everyone's sort of just, you know, like your fill in the blank little, a subconscious character biography of Anakin Skywalker. And they just went in such a lame direction. And then to try to redeem it with like, oh, well, we're going to make him this, this monster. But it was like, even the way he was a monster was lame. And it yeah. was like, you know, it's like, well, why don't, why don't you just make him like he molested the kids first too, you know? <laughs> it's like he wouldn't. He wouldn't even be respected in prison, you know. It's like you know, this isn't this isn't you know like the Darth Vader people wanted. You know? Yeah, they made him villain, but in a lame way. So he was lame, you know, all the way to the end. Yeah, you know? yeah even when they made him evil, he was lamely evil. Like really, he killed a bunch of kids and sand yeah. people. <laughs> like, 
I just want to say I, I totally am, I totally understand what you're saying about you know Anakin. The perception of Anakin as a character was, you know, this was going to be a really cool character reveal. A badass came out. Yeah, I mean, my my one of my one of my very first. I'm sure I'm sure Griff knows this. One of my very first AOL accounts was like yeah. Anakin seven 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 or something like that. You know, this is like back in like 95, 96 or so when all you knew about the name Anakin was what you heard from, you know, the original movies and some of what some of the script uh, and the, of the of the original movies seemed like a pretty cool guy. And in terms of turned out to be like space teen douchebag. I mean, it's just terrible. Yeah. It was like it's so, like, you know what? It wasn't even relevant at the time. It's like space. It's like Twilight in space. Yeah. It's bad. like, yeah, it's like, ugh. So yeah, in so case anyone's in case anyone's held out on it, don't bother with Star Wars Episode Three. Don't no. Instead, watch the the Red Letter Media Planket reviews, which are just as long as the movies, if not longer. <laughs> and you'll you'll learn everything you need to. <laughs> those really are fantastic. I can't say enough how much I really appreciate those things. Oh man, you know, he does a lot planned. of it. Yeah, I mean, it it kind of comes across like. You know, he's just making fun of it or something, but there's quite a bit more analysis. The deconstruction, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a very yeah. detailed deconstruction. Those videos, like, yeah. did, did you ever actually, watch the one for Crystal Skull? No, I didn't, haven't. I did. He, he he yeah he he gets to the heart of like Indiana Jones and why this doesn't you know make the cut. It's it's very sure. uh, interesting. I think he actually does a disservice to himself with a lot of the cheesy jokes and, and things he makes because there's like I don't know I think he has a larger message is being said and it kind of yeah. like, the, the jokes are kind of like stingers basically you know yeah but, you know uh, what I actually think it works because it like makes it into this like very uh, accessible package so people yeah. that are like you know that also want to like so look seriously. at yeah they can you know they're gonna go look at like. I'm looking at cat videos. Oh, and look at this. This guy, you know, is, has hookers in his basement and makes fun of Star right. Wars. Oh, you know? oh. But they, they also, the, that deep deconstruction is sort of like, they, he sneaks it in there. It's like hidden under camouflage, basically. Right, right. Um, I do have to go, but I, I wanted to bring up one thing before I went real quick. You know, we, re- we didn't talk about Wind Waker, the HD remake. Oh. Or the Can HD, I play it yeah. on my phone? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> uh, I, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll leave my thoughts before I head out. Basically, like I think Wind Waker is fine as it is. I don't think it needs an HD overhaul. Like uh, if you've seen some of these shots that come out of the uh, the emulator dolphin that can play Wii yeah. games and GameCube games, if you've ever seen Wind Waker running at 1080p, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous thing, and it actually looks dramatically better in my opinion than what the, the screens we saw. Of Wind Waker, which looks like they have like basically a bloom filter, and then they remodeled all the all the areas, and that's basically it. Like it doesn't really excite me to the prospect it's, of that. It's so. unnecessary. Just even if it was like the best looking thing ever, it's like we'll make a new HD Zelda in that style. That is, you right. know, it's something new. Like I don't like you said. If I wanted to play, uh, you know, HD Wind Waker, it's like I'd go to the trouble of setting up the emulator. I don't need an effect. I don't need those. I don't need Nintendo wasting their resources. Yeah. On that how about, kind how of, that? you know, release. How about this? Just, just, just re-release Wind Waker because the biggest problem I have with it is that I can't play it unless I use my Wii and get a GameCube controller memory card. You know, yeah. the, visu- the, the problem with Wind Waker is not the visuals. It's the, the accessibility. The visuals, yeah, the visuals are kind of the most timeless element, yeah. you know, that it's got exactly. going for it. So, yeah, so, I mean, I, I kind of understand this move as a kind of a cash grab for Nintendo. They're like, yeah, people want some more of these remakes. Here you go. But I, I would rather they spend their effort in other areas. 
Well, I, I think it's also because uh, they know it's going to take time for them to release a new Zelda, you know, probably a, a couple of years at least. So I think it's supposed yeah. to be, you know, like uh, to make people wait. So you know, my, <laughs> my take on it is I don't really mind, even though I'm not going to buy it, as long as it doesn't take too many resources away from other projects, you know. Sure. Like if they've only got, I don't know, 10 people on it, yeah, sure, you know, do whatever you want. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. The thing that struck me when you told me about it the other day, Walter, was just like, to me, like it was like almost rated like a zero. Like when you told me, it's like, oh, they're doing that? Okay, you know, it was, uh, you know, I sort of shrugged like, you know, I, they, you know, I wouldn't care if they did or didn't do it. It's sort of like, why are they doing that? I don't know. Right. And that's, that's kind of my reaction as well. I'm not like explicitly against it. I'm just kind of like, I don't think it's really necessary, I guess. Yeah. So it's tough for me to get excited about it when, like I've said before, I just think the game's fine as it is. Uh, so whatever. I don't really think much more of it than if they just released like it on, you know, like the, the original game on their download service. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's that'd be great. I'd, I'd be fine with me, especially if they made it, you know, up res the assets and that, that'd be it, you know? Yeah. To make it playable on an HD TV. That's it. That's all I got for the show, guys. If you had anything else to say, uh, do it before I hit stop. Well, I've got to go as well, so. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thanks for joining me and happy anniversary. Oh. Yeah. The end. One year. Yeah. <laughs>